We've been in this series in, in James um, for a little while now. We're in our second to last uh, portion here that we're going to go through. Um, I was praying over this text a lot. And, um, you know, if I'm completely honest, I'm not very comfortable preaching about money. The text is about, um, it's about money. And so I'm not very comfortable preaching about money a lot of times. Um, I grew up in the church. I never really had a bad experience in the church with money. You know what I'm saying? I had other experiences in church where leadership had failures, but it was never in the money sense. But there has been a lot of churches um, throughout the country and throughout the world that have abused money in a lot of different ways. And so I remember being fully aware of that and being pretty young at Bible college. And um, I remember I just hated it when pastors talked about money. Anybody else with me there? Just hated it when pastors talked about money. You always felt like they were trying to get you to tithe that week, right? Because maybe their salary was on the line, right? They might have to take a pay um, decrease if you don't tithe or something like that. It always felt like that. And so I've, as I've grown, I definitely see there's a lot of importance in talking about money. But it's also really important how we talk about it. And so James is going to tell us some things about money. Um, and it's in the same theme that he's been going through of this humility and the humility that accompanies the wisdom of God. And he is going to actually tell us that what our financial situations can do is it causes in us this arrogance. And uh, whether you have it or you're planning to have it, um, our plans with or for finances cause in us a sense of arrogance that actually harms our relationship with God. Because what it does is it... it strips us of some of our humility, and it becomes about what we can accomplish and what we can do. And so money becomes this, this thing that really becomes a wall and a barrier between us and God. And more than that, we'll also find by going to Luke 16, which will be our other text today, that uh, money is actually this very powerful God in our lives. And so this is not a message um, of, for me to try to get you guys to tithe. Um, you know, I full well believe that the mission that God has for this church, he's going to fund, right? Whether it comes from you guys or not, okay? My point is that I believe that God is, is behind this church, and time and time again, when, when there's been something we needed, new sound equipment, or this or that, every time, you know, I don't have to go do a big pitch for money, the Lord just provides it. And so I'm not preaching this because I need... Um, have a salary at the church, because that's not even a thing, right? I'm not paid by the church. I'm not preaching this um, so that we can afford the launch, right? I mean, this week, we're kind of like, where is everybody at? But uh, last week was completely full. You know how it is. Summer is still kind of in swing, and and, uh, people are in and out. But I'm not preaching this to get your guys' money so we can do more mission stuff or so that I can um, have a salary at the church. I'm going to preach this message knowing that maybe you hate it when pastors talk about money. I'm going to preach this message more about your heart towards money. And if, and if that causes you to give at Austin Chapel or to be generous in other areas of your life, so be it, right? But this is about our heart and our humility when it comes to the subject of money. Now, we'll go to James chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 13. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a, in such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? 
For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and falls, uh, fails to do it, for him it is sin. Okay. Let's talk about this first section. He says, come now, you say, I'm going to make a profit here. I'm going to go there. I'm going to do this. And he, and he basically says that's arrogant. He says, um, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Right? When we set these, these hard plans, when we make all these goals and, 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 and everything, where I'm going to make a profit here, I'm going to go get this job, I'm going to get this promotion, we set all these plans in motion and we're working so hard towards them. James here says that that is actually an arrogance and that we um, should not say that. Instead, we should have a humble attitude and say, if the Lord wills, I will go do this or that, okay? But at the same time, it would be superficial for us to think that just by saying it, we're being obedient, right? Because you can go, oh, well, I'll just say if the Lord wills. But really, it's still about you accomplishing your plans. But you're just saying the phrase, if the Lord wills. So it would be superficial for us to say that solves the problem. The problem is in the heart, and it's whether or not our heart can really say, if the Lord wills. All my plans, all, all of my financial goals, all of my professional goals, I'm going to surrender to God and say, if the Lord wills. I want his will, not my will. Right? So it's not simply saying it, but it's truly believing it with our heart, whatever the Lord wills. And he says it is arrogant when we don't have that mentality, that heart of whatever the Lord wills, because we don't even know if we're going to be alive. Our life is short, and our lives are incredibly weak, right? Like, <laughs> you know, Melissa told me that, like, one of the common causes of death for babies is when they swallow batteries, okay? Now I'm just paranoid about batteries, right? <laughs> like, I'm, like, moving all the remotes in our house, making sure they're out of his reach, because I'm, like, paranoid that he's going to swallow a battery and, and us not see it, and then he's going to have acid in his stomach and die, okay? Like, do you see how fragile life is, though? Our lives are incredibly fragile. And the, the whole point here is you don't know what life has for you. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what the Lord's plan is. So submit to his will and submit our plans, our goals, and our finances to him so we can trust him with whatever he's going to um, allow to play out in us, whatever he's going to lead us. Now, he, he switches tones here, right? He Come now, you who say, I believe he's still talking to the churches. He's going to switch tones. I don't know if this is people in the churches that he is um, really upset with, or if this is people outside the church that are maybe influencing people within the church. But he's, he switches tones here, and instead of saying brothers like he often does, brothers or, or the, a term of um, connection, instead he's going to kind of say, you rich. Like, he's speaking to people he used outside in some sense. Either they're in the church, but because of their heart um, and because of their bad attitude about money, he's viewing them as outside, or they are outside the church, and they're having influence within the church. We don't know. But he switches his tone in this next section here. And he has um, really just some harsh words to say. So let's take a look at this part. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Weep 
and how for the miseries that are going to come upon you. You, your your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Okay, there's a lot here. But first he says, weep and howl, right? And he said, these miseries are going to come upon you. And we see three different things that are going to come upon the rich. One is that all of their garments are, are going to be moth-eaten and their gold and silver um, have corroded, right? So they, they, really he's saying that all of the stuff that you're so concerned about is all going to deteriorate, deteriorate, right? It's all going to fall apart. It's all going to cease to exist. You can't take it with you is the idea here. And then he says that, and their corrosion, speaking of the corrosion of the gold and silver that they're storing up, he says, will speak evidence against you. So he says, well, all of your stuff is going to go away. It's going to disappear. And not only that, that stuff is going to be evidence against you. That stuff is actually speaking bad about you. It is showing the falsehood of your hope in these they're actually speaking against you they're evidence against you and then it says also and they will eat your flesh like fire now i believe he's saying that these people are in danger of eternal damnation because of their god finances which is why most people believe he's speaking to the rich outside the church he's saying that their hope is in their clothes it's in their gold and that stuff is going to not last it will not last it will corrode and it will be evidence against them and they will be judged because of it and he says you have laid up treasure in the last days verse four behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the lord of hosts you have lived on uh, lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, you have fattened your hearts um, in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Not resist. He again speaks against them. They were taking advantage of their laborers. They were taking advantage of the poor. And more than that, they were self-indulgent and wasteful. And they have fattened their hearts in the day of slaughter. So he's speaking against them. He's speaking against this hope, this um, love of money. Love of money. You know, I um, recently wrote that blog on the other sins of Sodom. I don't know if anybody read it or not. Um, why do we think of sodomy? We think of, generally we think of some sort of sexual, homosexuality, bestiality, orgies. That's what people, that's what comes to mind. Right? Which, and granted, that, was, that sin was rampant in Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's very clear that God was upset about it. Jude, it tells us that um, there was all this sexual um, sin and perversion going on in Sodom and Gomorrah for which they were judged. But also in Ezekiel, it says that in Sodom and Gomorrah, it says that the sin for which they were destroyed was that they were prideful, arrogant, and that they neglected the poor. That they were gluttons. Right? And reading that verse, um, it changes the definition of the word sodomy, which is just comes from Latin, which means sodom. Right? 
Sodomy isn't just sexual sin. Um, what if I said to someone, hey, like, you're neglecting the poor. That's sodomy. Right? You're prideful. You're arrogant. You're haughty. You're selfish. That's sodomy. It, it's a different tone here. You love money more than you love people. That's sodomy. You're gluttonous. That's sodomy. Here he speaks against the rich for being self-indulgent, for being wasteful, and for taking advantage of their laborers and the poor. And, and they're in danger of eternal damnation because of it. Because they have this unrepentant sin, this God that is, is over everything in their life, and, and they're not allowing Jesus to be Lord of their life. And so there is absolutely this aspect here that he talks about of our possessions um, really possessing, taking us astray, controlling our lives. Now, is money bad? I don't believe that money is bad. Right? The love of money is evil. Right? Money, when it's used wisely or, or for the Lord, is actually an incredible um, and empower, a powerful thing that can be used for good. Money itself is not evil, but the love of money, the worship of money, the arrogance of having money, or the arrogance of planning have money is all evil. It's all evil. Now, I don't believe that you have to have money for it to be your God. Right? The love of money. You don't have to have a lot of it for it to be something that consumes you. Right? You can still not be trusting God when maybe maybe your finances are tight and you're just not trusting Him. And, and you're doing everything you can and trying to pull in as much as you can it shows that maybe money is still God. It's still centered. It's still central in your life. It's still controlling you. And I believe that the more you have, the easier it is to have it as a God. Oftentimes when you have nothing, maybe you realize you have nothing. It brings some humility, and you turn to God and say, Lord, I, I can't do anything. I can't pay my bills. I'm turning to you. But you don't have to have money for it to be a God. It's the love of money that, that brings about all sorts of evil. There, you know, there's a lot of um, different views on money and culture. It probably fits us a lot of different right? Some of you maybe are savers, right? You're like, I, I got to get that count to 20000 or I got to get that count to 50000 I need a college fund. I need, I, need a, I need a retirement thing. I, like, maybe you're savers. You got all these plans. You're, you're really good at compartmentalizing your money, being, being really wise with your money, strategizing with your money. And then there's others that maybe they do a bit of that, but um, maybe they try to be generous, and they're really generous in areas. And then maybe you have the other type that it's like, I don't worry about money, but really what you're doing is you just spend it all, right? And I don't know that that's any better, right? A lot of times it's like, I, I don't, God's not my money. I, I don't even care about a savings account. I don't care about this. Well, maybe you're just foolish, and money is still your God, because every time you get it, you spend it, Right? Every time it comes into your account, you find a place to use it. And you're still just as materialistic as the person concerned with the size of their bank account. But for you, it's about the self-indulgence. As soon as you get it, you got to spend it. you gotta, you got to get that little high, that little fix you get when you, you spend it or have a new item or something like that. So I would say the person with the bank account not, isn't necessarily um, more evil than the person who just blows their money. Right? The one who's, who's 
putting all this confidence and arrogance and hope in the money that they have saved, I wouldn't say is any worse than the person who is just self-indulgent and really, in a sense, gluttonous with their finances. Just kind of all about me, consume, 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 spend, 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 spend. They're both sins. And they're both um, sin that can control you. They're both sin that can lead you away from God. And so the idea here with money isn't about about whether or not have it, it's about you on that. It's about your view on that. You guys will turn with me if you want um, on the Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 16. This is a parable that um, I didn't know this until reading some stuff about it that pastors oftentimes avoid. Okay, uh, They avoid the parable, but they like the, the application that Jesus gives after it. The application that Jesus gives after it is actually very. Um, a very well-known statement, right? But the parable itself is ignored. And it's because it has a strange um, example of a good thing. Jesus uses this really an evil and deceitful person as an example for something good. Which Jesus doesn't normally do that. Um, And so a lot of people are confused on what to do with it, so they just don't often use this parable. But it's, it's actually really awesome and teaches us a beautiful lesson. So we'll go ahead and read. It's, we're going to read um, verse 1 through 9 first here. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possession. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do. So, when, so, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So some morning his master, um, so summoning, sorry, so summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. Okay. The story is this. This guy is managing the rich man's accounts. He's been wasteful. He's been careless. Bad decision. So the master is firing him. So before he's fired, before he's kicked out, this guy is like, what am I going to do? I can't dig. I'm not very strong. I don't want to dig. I'm too proud to beg. He's like, I'm going to go forgive parts of these people's debts while I'm still managing so that they will be kind of indebted to me for that so that when I get fired, I can go live with them because they owe me. They'll take care of me. Kind of smart, right? Jesus says this guy's super smart. In fact, 
he's a lot smarter than the sons of light, speaking of people who are following God. He said, what this guy did for taking care of himself in the next phase of his life was smarter than what many believers are doing in the sense of taking care of their next Right? He's in one season and he's been screwing it up, but then he makes a good decision and a wise investment to take care of himself in the next season. And when you think about this spiritually, he says that we should be um, doing something similar to take care of ourselves in the next phase of our life. Speaking of, you know, eternity. Speaking of when we go to heaven. The whole idea here is he's saying, this guy made a good decision to take care of himself in his life, so we must do the same thing. Be focused on that next phase of your life. Make the right decisions right now, the shrewd and wise decisions right now, to make sure that in the next life, you're taken care of. Now let's look at what Jesus gives us for application here. Verse 10. One who is faithful in, a very, in, in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he either will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God. Now this application, we've all heard it before. We can't serve God in money, and then if we're faithful in little, the Lord will allow us to be, um, he knows we'll be faithful in much, so he'll give us more, right? What he's actually saying here in, in application to this story is that when we're faithful in the small things, the more we receive eternally. I believe there's an actual correlation here to how we spend our earthly finances to what we receive as reward in heaven. What we receive as reward in heaven. Because if we were faithful in a little, he knows we'll be faithful in much. And so we, like this master, need to take care of our next life. Make the decisions that are better for our next life. Invest in our next life. As I titled the message, Invest in Faith. When we're laying up treasures, right? Savings account's not a bad thing. Having a college fund for your child is not a bad thing. Putting our hope in those things. And if those things ever pull us away from being able to use money for the things of God and we're so focused on our savings account or our retirement account or children's college fund that we don't tithe, we don't give to the hurting, we don't give to the poor we don't give to um, the church we don't give to missions I believe that we're showing that we're not faithful with little and our reward in heaven will be now there's many things in life that we must be faithful with in this life so that we'll be rewarded more in the next life. I mean, this, this applies to our time. This applies to our talents and abilities. But it also applies to our finances. And the topic we're on today is finances. And Jesus applied this to finances. He said, you cannot serve Because you love one. Go back to
he again will switch tones here. And uh, he tells us what exactly um, they shouldn't be doing, right? He, he accuses the rich. He even preaches their judgment, how their love of money, their love of their possessions is actually going to be against and that it will eat their flesh like fire. And then he's going to say, therefore, right? Give us some application on what we should do in seven. Be patient, therefore, brother. Changes his language. Uses the, these rich as a bad example. And again, speaking in faith, when we're walking in the way of the Lord, he says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the earthly and the late rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patient, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes so that you may not fall into sin. So he tells us, patience. Instead of self-indulgence, instead of having our possessions as gods, he said to be patient, like a farmer is patient with the plant works on the farm. He waits for that fruit. You may not see the results Generosity. You may. You may not. It may not be until heaven that you see the results of the results of giving to the poor, the results of taking care of the less poor, the results of tithing, giving to mission, church. You may not see the results. I personally have seen the results. No very good. Um I personally have seen when I'm unsure if I can afford the tithe. I'm unsure, like I have, a, Melissa and I have a percentage that we give to the church no matter what, right? And then we give outside of that as well. Um, we, you know, give to a couple of mission things here, sometimes family member, and we give it as well. But there's a percentage that we just always give to the church. And sometimes the temptation is, I don't think I can afford it. Right? Speaking personally. And remember, I said I'm not preaching this because the church needs money right now. We don't. We're fine. I'm just teaching from my own experience. Every time I, I neglect to tithe um, in the past, um, I neglect to tithe because I'm worried about finance. My financial situation only gets worse. And every time I've tithed and just trusted God, no, either way, my financial situation has always been all right. Like, I never have regretted giving money. Never. Like, giving money, even when I thought maybe it would screw me over, has never screwed me over. 
And that's my own experience. Now, I am like scared to share things like that because you guys might take it as doctrine and, and say, well, Stephen preached that if we give and we have nothing to worry about and this or that. And I, I'm not ever going to try to preach a prosperity sort of sounding message because I don't, I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. I don't believe that, you know, if you give, then you'll be richer. I don't, I'm not preaching that. But what I do know from Scripture is that God will take care of what you need to have taken care of. Right? Whatever you need, he's got it covered. Whatever you need for his plan in your life, for your calling, he has it covered. And so we can trust him completely. And when we're led to give and when we're called to be generous, we just trust him, even when we're not sure how it's going to play out, that he will play it out. Now, I'm not preaching that the more you give, the richer you'll be. I'm preaching that if you give, you can trust that the Lord will take care of your situation. And I believe that wholeheartedly. I've only ever experienced that in my entire life. We have to trust God with our finances. He's God. He's the richest person I know. Do you know anybody richer? And if he's leading you to give, then you can trust that he's got it taken care of. Amen? If, you, if you're like, I, I really feel like I should give to this person, to this mission, or I need to start giving regularly a certain amount to our church, but I'm not sure about it. He's richer than you are. If you're giving to him, he's going to take care of your situation. Right? Now, he might just show you, hey, actually, there's some bills here that you're just, that are useless. Just get rid of those and you can get, right? He may not actually give you a, a promotion or something, but when you change your heart about finances, you also start learning more about finances, and God reveals things in your life that maybe are a waste, right? I talked to a church planner recently, and, and uh, he was asking me different questions about different things, and, and we were talking, we got on the subject of tithing. And he said that he, whenever he preaches money, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him preach through my story, okay? <laughs> he says he always tells uh, girls, if you're on a date with a guy, First date, ask him how much he gives to the church. If he says none, he's not going to be generous with you. <laughs> and he says, and then all the guys get super scared and start tithing. <laughs> right? So he's like, uh, he says always, he's like, he's like, do you want a selfish guy? They're like, no, you don't. If he's selfish, then he's not as giving. Ask him how much he's giving. If he's giving, then you know he's probably not a selfish guy. Anyway. He's telling me to share that, so I'll let him share it through me. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and then we were also talking about some other stuff, and he encouraged his church to find bills that you don't need, cancel those bills, and give that money towards missions, that money towards the church. You know, he's like, I had people cancel Netflix. It's only $7 a month, but he's like, it's something. It was a factor. Right? And when we're giving out of a generous heart, not under compulsion, then it, we enjoy making sacrifices for God. We enjoy making sacrifices for him to see his kingdom grow. Giving's not about how much you give, right? That's why it's always in percentages, because it's not like you need to give $100 a month, you need to give $10,000 a month. It doesn't matter what amount it is. It's about the sacrifice that goes with it. The rich may need to be giving more percentage-wise than the poor because they don't need all that extra, Right? And I've known people that they, they begin tithing at like 5%, 15%, 20%. And every time they get promotions, they also up their 
I'm just a big gift. You know what I'm saying? I've known people who've done that. Um, when it comes to money, it's about the sacrifice. Maybe you're like, I, I just don't have it in my budget. Like, like, I'm already making sacrifices just to afford my bills right now. Okay? I understand. Start with something. All right? It doesn't even have to be awesome. Friends is also awesome. You have family in And we ask that you give to the church, obviously, because the church to be able to do things. But at the same time, I care more about your heart than I do about what you travel. Start with something small. You're like, I just can't afford it. Do you, are you going to the movies? Don't. Give that. Right? I'm going I'm to go eat out. Fast instead. Give that money. There is money. Fast one day a week. Give what you Right? Make a sacrifice. It's not about the amount. In the New Testament, there's no specific percentage given to it. It's about the heart of sacrifice and the heart of generosity and the fact that you want to want to give to God. You want to be a part of what he's doing. God doesn't need our money to accomplish his mission, but when we give, we get to be a part of it. We get to say, I, I helped right? He didn't need you, right? Like, I, I full well believe if you guys aren't tithing, the Lord will bring other people to the church who will tithe, <laughs> right? The, if the Lord's will is behind this church, he will provide the money. I am not worried about it. I'm not, I'm honestly not stressed about it. I just trust the Lord's going to take care of it. But you get to be a part of it when, when you get it. And so he says that we plant seeds, we, we patiently wait for the, for the fruit that comes. And I believe most of the time that fruit comes in heaven. That fruit comes in the rewards we get in heaven. And then he said here um, some stuff that really switches our view of life. He says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Establish your hearts for the Lord coming. And then again he says, the judge is at the door. Like he's almost here. He's at the door. He's almost here. He's coming, right? And they were talking about this 2,000 years ago, and you might go, well, 2,000 years, like, we probably got a long time still, but let me tell you, today is closer than it's ever been to the return of Christ. And tomorrow will be closer. We are, in, we are constantly in the end times because we're always getting closer. And I believe we're closer than ever, and that I personally believe it's probably pretty soon. I don't know, but I believe it's Go to Paul, but <laughs> right. uh, well, listen, he's saying that that should change our view of our financial situation. When we know that he's coming and we know that the judge is at the door, so we can live for that return. We can live for that next life. We can invest in faith, rather invest in, in things that will perish. He said, to take an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is passionate. He says, think about the prophets who were serving God, who made a lot of sacrifices. He says, the ones that we consider blessed, the ones that we talk about, the ones that we, we kind of lift up their name and, and 
give honor to these different prophets, prophets were the ones that were steadfast, right? You don't hear anybody talking about the prophet who made some sacrifices to God and then it got really hard and then quit, right? You hear, you hear stories about the prophets who were steadfast, who continued. We consider those we don't consider them blessed because they received all sorts of earth, earthly finances. We consider them blessed because of their steadfastness, because of the work of lives, heart. That was the blessing. Look at Job. He said, Job was steadfast when children were dying, literally lost everything. I mean, imagine that, like, your enemies are killing your family and all your and there's also disasters, you're getting sores, you have diseases, all this stuff. And he says, this is the example. That when you're being patient for the harvest in heaven, we view our earthly possession and our earthly circumstances in a completely different way. And then again here, he, he kind of says this again, similar to um, how he said, if it is the Lord's will, I will do this or that. He, he says something very similar here in verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under it. He gets back to that kind of arrogance of us planning. The arrogance of our plan, the arrogance of our hopes being in any current financial situation. And he says that, you know, don't swear by anything. Yes is yes. He's not saying don't make commitments. But don't swear. You don't have the ability to swear. You don't have the ability to make things happen. When you say, I swear I'll do this, you could die before that happens. Right? You say, I swear I'll do it tomorrow and get a hit by a bus today. You say, yes, I plan on doing it. I commit to the Lord will. But again, it's superficial for us to think that just verbalizing is not. It has to be a heartfelt conviction. Yes is yes, and the Lord wills. So as we look at this, as James super challenging about finances, as I mean, if you read the gospel, Christ is incredibly challenging when it comes to the topic. There isn't anything that this was in the Old Testament, right? That's why we do the 10%, because it's easier than the stuff we read in the gospel. <laughs> right? That's why Christians today take the Old Testament law and apply it to their life, because it's actually easier, easier than what Jesus said about finance. We go, out loud, if I give 10%, I'm good. If I give 10%, that's the Old Testament. If I give 10%, Jesus never said 10%. Jesus said, follow me and, and give up everything. You see these guys selling half their stuff, promising to never, Zacchaeus, promising never to cheat anyone ever again and giving half of his possessions to the poor. You see other guys selling everything and following Christ. It's not easier, right? We make it easier by saying 10%. The idea that's preached in the New Testament is that it's not your money. It's not yours. 
over and over again, the parables that Jesus preached were, you are simply a manager. You're a servant who I've given you a certain amount. And I'm seeing what you're going to do. Right? Every parable, it's not our money. I cannot find a single parable in the Gospels where it's ours. And that's the concept that's preached in the New Testament, is that you're held accountable for every dollar you spend. <laughs> Dang it, right? You know, in my own life, I'm trying to cut bills so I can give more, cut bills so I can use my money in more wise ways, make smarter investments, right? So that I can give more and more to my church. Looking for ways to give more to our church. Um, you know, I haven't always made the best financial decisions in my life. And by the grace of God, I'm learning how to make better financial decisions, less selfish, less self-indulgent. Because here's the thing. It's not about, about this is God's money. And I can do something. The in the New Testament, all of it's God's money. None of it's yours. Judge on that. <laughs> so it's not necessarily about selling everything you have. So that may be the calling for some. But it's about using all of it. Bills we have to pay. Right? If you're going to be a missionary in Austin, you've got to live somewhere. You have to eat. You know what I'm saying? But just, so I'm not telling you how to spend your money. I'm telling you that it's not your money. Go to the Lord with it. Right? right? You're never going to hear me like preach specific. Like, this is a bad area to spend your money. This is a good area, and I'm going to tell you how to fill your budget and all that stuff. I'm not doing that. I'm going to preach that it's not your money. Pray about it and ask the Lord honestly, like, what should I do? Is this thing okay? Is it okay if I make this? Is it okay if I make this? And realizing it's his money, and I'm going to ask him. I'm going to pray about it and let him guide. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, um,